0: you're listening to a chicago sports nation production enhancing your chicago sports fan experience
1: Hello everybody, thank you for tuning in to Shy Sox Weekly, brought to you by White Sox Nation and Wegrin Enterprises. I am John Suarez, joined with you by my co-host Tony Marchese. Tony, how you doing today, man?
0: John, I'm doing excellent. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, Today we got episode 14. We made it to episode 14 over here. That is the number of my all-time favorite player. You guys obviously know who I'm talking about right now.
0: Uh, Who am I talking about, Tony? I'm not quite sure. I don't know any famous 14s that have ever played uh, sports. Sports period. Sports, all
1: sports. I I could name plenty, but obviously talking about Bill Melton over here, folks. Bill Melton, big Bill Melton guy. The great Bill Melton wore number 14. No, we're obviously talking about Paul Canarico guys. Bill Melton was a great number 14, but we are talking about Paul Lee K, the guy.
0: No love for Bill Melton there.
1: A little love for Bill. I mean, a little should've... love. Yeah. A little love. A little I mean, shade, actually. I mean, I guess you're right.
0: Well, I mean, we do get to listen to Bill Melton all the time break down games. What's what's Polly doing right now? Playing some some hockey?
1: is just kicking it in Arizona. You're
0: just kicking and it in his mansion.
1: I'm pretty okay. sure his house is like one of the biggest houses in Arizona. So he's got that going for him.
0: He does. And I, I'm pretty sure he's playing some pickup hockey these days. At least all that's right. what i at least that's what I've seen.
1: Big hockey guy. Always got to tie it into the pod, and yep. we're like two minutes in. Okay. Well, we so, haven't brought up
0: the Bears yet, so.
1: <laughs> it's actually been a couple of weeks since we brought up the Bears, so let's not tie into that. All right. Uh, we got a, we got actually a good uh, couple of things that we want to get to you guys today. Obviously, we took last week off because it was the 4th of July, so we're sorry about that. We never even really put out like a warning tweet or anything. We just kind of went ghost for like a week because Tony and I did our little 4th of July deal, so.
0: Yeah, took a nice little vacation, uh, got a little rested, and we're back here this week, ready to rock and roll? All
1: right, so today we have Josh Nelson from Sox Machine joining us. He will be joining us shortly. Um, I met Josh a couple weeks ago at the Sox game. He is a good guy. He's a funny guy. Um, He covers, he does the uh, Sox Machine podcast. He's the host of that. Last time they put out an episode, I think they had Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline on, so he gets the guests.
0: Yeah, they've they've got some good guests, some good content over there at Sox Machine. If you're not following them, not listening to their podcast, reading their articles, uh, him and Jim Margulis do an excellent job covering the White Sox, so go check them out.
1: Yeah, they sure do. So we're going to have Josh come on and tell us a little bit uh, more about that. Uh, to get started, we want to go ahead and congratulate Jose Abreu for being the named the first baseman starter for the American League All-Star team. Kind of saw it coming. The Absolutely. voting was kind of distancing itself. Well, the
0: AL, the AL first baseman, even though, not to take anything away here from our, our guy Jose, but the uh, the AL first baseman landscape uh, this year is, is not the best, uh, but... Regardless, Jose was very deserving of this uh, call to the All-Star game. And, John, you actually brought this up on Twitter the other day. At least I saw the tweet coming from you. Isn't he one of like the first White Sox players who were voted in by the fans in, in quite a while? Yes. Yeah,
1: so he was the, the first uh, White Sox position player to get voted in outright to start i think it's to start because i mean obviously we've had like we've had paulie with that like last vote we've had jose Quintana with the last vote or whatever the hell they call it like we've had replacement players i think he was the first starter elected to the all-star game um since shit i can't even remember i I knew it before we started recording i want to say it was big frank dude
0: big frank big frank thomas speaking of big frank thomas uh john you've been doing a little mlb the show the past week uh it sounds like you're you're working on some sort of frank thomas campaign how's that going for you
1: yeah so i have to get i have to have 350 plate appearances with 90 home runs and like 200 rbis with first baseman and i'm like halfway done so that if that says anything about me, that basically says I have no fucking life. But um, yeah, I'm almost done. So I'm pretty excited about that. But that has nothing to do with our podcast and nothing to do with what you guys want to hear about. So shout out, Tony, for bringing that up.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead <laughs> and get our guest on. And that will bring on Josh Nelson from Sox Machine. Josh, how are you doing today?
2: I am doing well. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. Oh,
0: Thank you so much for coming on,
1: Josh. We appreciate it, man.
2: Hey, no problem.
1: All right, so we kind of already introduced you a little bit, but what we like to do is give our listeners kind of a little bit of a background from our guests themselves. So do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Josh?
2: Sure. I am the producer and host of the Sox Machine Podcast, and also write on soxmachine.com along with Jim Margulis, uh, who's the managing editor. Been podcasting about the White Sox. This is the fifth season. So since the 2014 season, have been podcasting about the White Sox and also writing about the team as well. Jim has been writing about the team since 2006, which I think he's a little bit crazy at this point uh, with all of the different losing teams and losing eras that he has uh, blogged about and covered. Uh, it's tremendous stubbornness on his part. (laughs) He's Uh, he's only covered
1: one playoff team.
2: Exactly. uh, Exactly. And uh, hopefully there will be another playoff team real soon. Uh, But, no, you can listen to as far as our show. We usually have like an hour to an hour and a half show on Mondays. We have a 30-minute show during the midweek, Wednesday or Thursday, called Sox Machine Live. And in between, we have the White Sox wake-up call, which is about 10 minutes of a recap on what happened for the White Sox, what's going to happen the next day for the White Sox, the minor leagues, and around Major League Baseball.
1: Good stuff. Yeah, so they got a lot of stuff that you can do over there with Sox Machine, a lot of interactive listening. Um... But yeah, we got a couple topics that we want to talk with you today, Josh. Uh, we're going to first talk about a topic that you had brought up that you wanted to write about on Twitter. You said that you wanted to write a little bit more about Tim Anderson. So we're going to give you the platform here, and we're going to let you talk a little bit about Tim Anderson.
2: Sure. So the reason I wanted to write about Tim Anderson was as we approach the halfway mark with the rebuild that the White Sox are currently going through, it's important to take a moment to assess the progress that the foundation players are making. And when I say foundation players, to me, that's on the pitching side, your Ronaldo Lopez, Lucas Gilito. I'll throw Carlos Rodon in there because he's still under team control for a little bit. Tim Anderson, Yoan Mikata, I consider those to be the foundation players for the White Sox at the moment. Everybody else may have a role, but it's not 100% certain that they are going to have a role on a future contending White Sox team. And looking at Tim Anderson, I just wanted to see how he was comparing to other shortstops across Major League Baseball. And when I wrote about this on Soxmachine.com, the first thing that jumped out at me was how much shortstops have stepped up their play from last year. In 2017 using Fangraphs wins above replacement, uh it I don't want to say Kyle Seeger. It is his brother, Corey Seeger of the Los Angeles Dodgers and Francisco Lindor, the Cleveland Indians. They tied at 5.4 wins above replacement this year. When I wrote the piece about a week before the all-star game, Francisco Lindor's already had five wins above replacement. And last year, the average shortstop was worth two and a half wins above replacement this year. The average shortstop in Major League Baseball is on pace to be worth 3.6 wins above replacement, an additional win. And that win from a two and a half to three and a half player uh, is significant in Major League Baseball. So shortstops across the entire league have made a big step forward In their play, whether it is defense, most particular in offense, and now that the average shortstop is 5% better than the average hitter in Major League Baseball, that is pretty rare in the history of Major League Baseball. As you guys know, shortstops are not typically known for the bat. They are most most of the time your best defender in the infield. But in today's game, shortstops are raking and looking at Tim Anderson's numbers, he's average. He's your average shortstop right now in Major League Baseball. And I find that to be a really good sign because in 2017, he was the third worst shortstop in all of Major League Baseball. So for Tim Anderson to go third worst to average, where he ranks about 13th, 12th, because you're only going to have about 26 shortstops that qualify for the batting title, uh, I find that to be a really good sign And even looking deeper into Tim Anderson's numbers, the average strikeout rate for a major league baseball shortstop is 18%. Tim Anderson is at 24%. And I was just thinking, what happens if Tim Anderson could just have an average strikeout rate? If he could reduce his strikeout rate by 6%, how much of that will be extra base hits? How much of that would be additional walks? And if he were able to do that, we could see Tim Anderson... If he makes another step forward like that, become a top 10 shortstop in Major League Baseball. Now, the question that I had next after doing this is, is that good enough? If Tim Anderson is a top 10 shortstop or if Tim Anderson is still the average shortstop in Major League Baseball, is that a good enough production from him for a White Sox contending team? And I I don't know the answer to that question yet. There's really nobody in the minor leagues that's pressing Tim Anderson for playing time at shortstop. But these are the types of things that Rick Hahn's going to have to ask himself most likely after the 2019 season when he goes to his whiteboard, "Where can I improve on the diamond?" And if he doesn't have someone that could be better than Tim Anderson at shortstop, then Tim Anderson's going to be the shortstop long term. But if Rick Hahn decides that I can't have an average shortstop if we're going to be a playoff contender, I need a top five shortstop in order for us to make it into the postseason. Then they'll be interesting on the fate of Tim Anderson a few years down the road. But right now, we wanted to see Tim Anderson get better, and he has proven that he has gotten better. And the best news is, is that there's still opportunities for him, like reducing the amount of strikeouts and getting the ball more in play, that will help him get into the top 10. And who knows if he lights the world on fire, maybe he can be a top five shortstop in major league baseball.
1: So you just wrote that whole article out. And word form for our listeners, so we appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. (laughs) That was what you've been waiting to write, and you just said it all. And honestly, that was like, I don't know if you have anything in front of you, but that was so informative. And just the way that you had knowledge to back all of that, and you just went on like that three-minute tangent about Tim Anderson. I'm excited to see if Tim Anderson can improve. Uh, you kind of touched on it a bit. That walk rate is starting to go up, and that's what was really scaring me his first two years was the fact that he literally didn't walk, like, at all.
0: Yeah, he's already got 10 more walks this year than he had in 2017, so you got to like seeing that. And he's already sitting at 35 RBIs. He's going to surpass the 56 he had last year, I'm pretty sure, easily. Is.
2: No, I agree with as far as the RBI total. And, you know, what makes Anderson really interesting is that he's very deadly against lefties. And I do like the lineup changes. I know there's some White Sox fans that are not exactly thrilled on the way that Rick Renteria has a lineup against right-handed starters where Yohan Mikado is the leadoff hitter. And then left-handed starters... Tim Anderson's the leadoff hitter. And it's like those two swap where yoan but Mankata bats in the lower third uh, against uh, left-handed starters because he's not a great hitter from the right side yet. And Tim Anderson bats in the lower third against right-handed starters because, Obviously, Tim Anderson's not the same type of hitter against lefties. Um, But if the White Sox get an opportunity to face more left-handed starters in the second half, obviously that will give him a big boost to his numbers as well.
0: Well, you do bring up a good point, and it's something that's been brought up a lot, at least on Twitter from what I've seen, and that is the changes in the batting order. Now, a lot of people are calling for Yeun to bat leadoff in both situations just to get him those plate appearances batting right-handed. I'm kind of curious to know what your take is
2: on that. I understand where they are coming from because it's more important for you and to get as many plate appearances as possible. And I, I totally understand that point of view, but I also understand the point of view from Rick Renteria where you want to protect the guy as well and you still want to manage to win. And when you have someone like Tim Anderson, who is terrific Against left handed starters, that yeah, it makes logical sense that Tim Anderson should bat leadoff. Now, maybe Mikada should be batting second behind Tim Anderson in front of Jose Abreu and Daniel Polka and Matt Davidson. I think that would be an interesting dy- dynamic and that would still allow Mikada to get those additional plate appearances every single week. But for I hear a lot of White Sox fans complain when they see Mankata strike out from the leadoff spot and say, you Makata's not a leadoff hitter. Well, it would just get a lot worse if you have him as a leadoff hitter when he's batting right-handed against left-handed starters. Uh, So I could see it both ways and I don't mind the changes because I think at the same time, while yes, it's important that Makata gets his plate appearances. It's also important for Tim Anderson to get his plate appearances as well. So, Manager, the manager of Rick Renteria has got to find a way to balance it, and I think he's doing the best that he can balancing to make sure that both get ample time at the top of the lineup.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I actually 100% agree with you. Uh, a lot of people do get kind of confused when they see, like, Mankata and Tim Anderson switching off with that leadoff spot. I think Mankata belongs in that two-spot period. Like, I think he should be cemented in that two-spot because I think moving forward, when you actually have a core of a guy that's going to bat third and a guy that's going to bat cleanup and you know, they're going to bat that. I think the spot for Mankata would be in that either two or five spot. You want you know, him in the top half.
0: You know, I, I absolutely agree with you on that, John. And I'm actually, I, I don't have uh, lineups in front of me uh, for, the, for the whole year, but I'm pretty sure that Yon hasn't really batted out of that two spot. And it's kind of surprised me when you and I talked at the beginning of the year, John, uh, I think that's where we both pretty much had him pegged to be. Uh, I, Believe I had Anderson in the one spot and Moncada behind him. Now, that brings up an interesting question. Do you think that Tim Anderson is a leadoff guy in the future? Or is he going to slot in somewhere more along the seventh, eighth spot when the Sox are competing?
2: That really depends on the progression of Nick Madrigal, the White Sox most recent draft pick out of the first round from the Oregon State Beavers, because I think Nick Madrigal is your prototypical leadoff off hitter. Someone that constantly puts the ball in play. Uh and will have a baba up batting average of balls in play 350 360 easily. He could hit th- higher than 300 cuz he's more of a slap hitter where he doesn't necessarily scare you from the power side yet and maybe that could develop like it has for the little guys like Jose Atuve, Mookie Betts, but it's going to take several years before we see that type of power. From Nick Magical. I mean, if I'm looking at a 2021 lineup for the Chicago White Sox, I'm comfortable putting Magical at second and moving Makata over to third. I think Mikata would be able to handle that position. So my infield is Mikata at third, Anderson at short, Magical at second. I I guess in 2021 I have no idea who's first base because Jose Breu may not be around. Uh, but I could see a top of the lineup where it's Magical, Mikata. Eloy Jimenez, oh, I can't forget about Luis Robert, man, this lineup could be stacked uh, soon for the White Sox. It'd be pretty deep. I mean, maybe you can go, maybe one day Mankata bats third when you have hitters like Magical and Luis Robert hitting in front of him and then you have Eloy Jimenez batting fourth. Yeah, I mean that's pretty enticing. Then you gotta figure Zach Collins would be in the mix. Maybe Jake Berger would be in the mix. So you know what? Yeah, I for the long term, I do see Tim Anderson being a bottom of the third hitter for the White Sox in the lineup. But that's not a bad thing because he can scare you with the power. He's proven it this year. He's gonna probably hit more than 20 home runs. And he's he's got a chance, an outside chance of stealing 40 bases. When you have a 20 home run, 40 stolen base guy that's batting seventh in your lineup, that is a terrific that, thing yeah, to that's, have. Yeah,
0: that's 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 a good problem to have. That's, yes, yeah, you can't you can't argue with that at all. Um, but yeah, you do bring up uh, the Yon Mancada to third base thing. Uh, and, and that's where he started out when he played with Boston. Do you think that you see him get some time maybe next year, uh, towards the end of the year, if, if the trajectory for Madrigal is 2020? Do you think you start to see him get a few st- starts over at third base?
2: I think it would be wise for the White Sox to do that just to keep Mikado on his toes and to retain that position flexibility. I know this comment is going to make Tom Frenelli mad and I love Yomer Sanchez, but Yomer Sanchez is not a starting third baseman for all the things that I said about shortstops third baseman across major league baseball are playing at an insane level, a level that Yomer Sanchez cannot play at. And It's not his fault. It's just not the type of player that he is. He's proven this year defensively he can stick at third, and he leads the league in triples, and he's doing everything he can to be a productive baseball player, which is what Yomer Sanchez is. But Yomer Sanchez, according to wins above replacement, is one of the worst third basemen in Major League Baseball, and it's not necessarily fair to grade him against the other third basemen In the league, just because it looks like that the average third baseman, the average third baseman this season is going to be a four wins above replacement player. That's insane. It's become third base has become like the most key position on the diamond for baseball teams where your best player is at third base or they're out in the outfield. Uh, So for the White Sox, they need to find somebody that could be a four-win player at third base. And I think that Yohan Mikata can be that type of player. And you have someone now in the farm system, because I watched Nick Madrigal all season long, with the exception of him breaking his wrist, and he missed those couple of months in college. And I think Nick Madrigal could be an above average second baseman overall when he joins the major leagues. And I think he would be terrific defensively at second base that the White Sox would not have to worry about him. So long-term right now with my vision, I am one to believe that magical is going to play at a level that the White Sox will move Mancata off second only because the White Sox still do not have a long-term solution at third base.
0: Well, and that's also partially due to the fact that Jake Berger, his timeline took a huge hit yeah, uh, with that with that second injury to the Achilles. You would have liked to have seen him probably in Double AA, A, Triple A, late next year, uh, with a shot to crack the lineup in 2020. But now, at least from what I would think, Berger's two or three. Years away off the timeline where he would have been had he had this full year of development. And yeah, that does leave a hole at third base. The only other way that they would fill that is with a free agent signing. And I know the name Nolan Arenado is thrown around here. Yes. Now.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado is my favorite non White Sox player.
0: Well. This brings up the next problem, is that the fact that the Sox are going to have so much money to spend, and, and this becomes a thing that everybody wants to talk about, where do we spend our money in free agency? Can you imagine the log jam we would have with somebody like Nolan Arenado manning third base on a long-term deal, when you would also have a guy like Tim Anderson, Madrigal, and Yon Mancata all vying for playing time in the infield?
2: I think that's a good problem to have, because you can take those assets and you can trade them. And you can find better players. I mean, with the starting rotation, there is a thing that pitching prospect. There's no such thing as a pitching prospect because pitchers get hurt all the time. And for White Sox fans, we are learning that lesson, and it it's a painful lesson this year. Alec Hansen missed the first half. Dane Dunning's going to miss the entire second half. Uh, it, it's just a that gut punch where. That also impacts development, and it also makes who's going to be in the starting rotation in 2019 uh, a really hazy situation for the White Sox, where the White Sox may have to get a cheap veteran as a starting pitcher, just because they may not have enough guys ready to join a major league rotation because of these injuries. Because uh, it's more than just Jake Berger, uh, but with, you know, with Jake Berger, his long-term future. I don't know, man. When I hear that a third-base prospect tore his Achilles twice and his mobility wasn't exactly above average uh, and a lot of people questioned his ability to move at third base, coming off that Achilles injury, I'm really skeptical on what Jake Berger can do physically. We're going to have to wait into the second half of 2019 to see what he can do at third base as far as being able to move. But if you look at the White Sox farm system, unless you're a Gavin Sheets believer, and I'm not exactly 100% told on Gavin Sheets,
1: three the White doubles Sox
2: tonight. Still, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, he yeah, had three doubles tonight. I was listening to that to the radio. I'm still waiting for that home run power, but there's not a, a clear hair apparent at first base to replace Jose Abreu. And if Jake Berger has to move over to the other side and he could prove that he could stick at first base, I don't know, maybe he becomes Billy Butler 2.0. And Billy Butler had a really good career in the major league. So, yeah, unfortunately with Jake Berger, that, that situation is, uh, is pretty hazy. But that's why with Rick Hahn, even though you have these prospects and as a general manager, you think, oh my gosh, I'm creating this logjam. Have the logjam. And if you need to get a free agent to come into your organization because you know, you don't have a player as good as someone like Nolan Arenado still get them. And if you need to trade guys away, go ahead and trade them away. Your goal is to make the best 25 man roster that you possibly can. And if you have this great depth of talent, That could only be a good thing. Look at what the Cubs have been able to do with their talent. Look at what the Astros have been able to do. I mean, they just called up Kyle Tucker, and I think Kyle Tucker is going to be terrific for the Houston Astros in the second half. It just seems like it never stops with these teams having this young talent coming in, joining, and being incredibly successful. Uh, Another one I just forgot about, Gleyber Torres with the Yankees. Do the Yankees need another all-star On their team for crying out loud. You know the evil empire. Is definitely back in full force. Uh, So it's going to be interesting. On how Rick Hahn plays this out. But in 2018 it hasn't been kind. As you guys mentioned with the injuries.
1: Yeah I'm a firm believer. um, In the fact that the first base position. Is just kind of a dying breed. At this point. Um, There's not many big. Like blue chip prospects in the game right now. That are at the first base position. Um, The last couple that come to mind is probably like Brandon McKay with the Rays, who I don't even think he's doing too much, you know? So, I mean, we don't, we're not seeing too much come up at the position right now. And like you said, you know, Gavin sheets while he's been on somewhat of a hot streak, he's still like a career 260 hitter in low able. So
0: here, here's a hot take for you. Why don't you put Yon Mankata at first base?
2: One suggestion that I have heard is Aloy Jimenez at first base. And it's not the worst idea in the world because watching him defensively, he is. So we have a term for people who are over the age of 55, and we call them old pieces of shit, OPOSs. <laughs> and the OPOSs are not going to like Aloy Jimenez playing defense. Because it does, it looks like Aloy is lazy defensively. He catches everything with one hand. He's not fundamentally sound. He doesn't necessarily have a very strong arm. He's not like Jermaine Dye. Uh, and athletically, a little bit limited mobility-wise as far as in the corners watching him. Uh, he would be an average, average corner outfielder at best defensively. But Aloy Jimenez is all about the bat. Uh, where he could be a superstar. And somebody suggested to me, well, why don't they make Aloy Jimenez a first baseman? And again, that's not the worst idea in the world. I don't know if he's ever played the position. I don't think you could just take any major leaguer and throw him at first base and be like, all right, you got this figured out. Just catch the ball. Obviously, there's more to it. Uh, But you're right. I mean, across Major League Baseball, the reason why Jose Abreu is in the All-Star game is that American League first basemen are bad, especially when you compare them to the National League. I mean, Freddie Freeman of the Atlanta Braves is running laps around the American League first basemen. Uh, so it's interesting on just how big of a step back American League first basemen have taken. So even though I say that there's no hair apparent to replace Jose Abreu, not even just looking at war, but looking at your old school stats. Do you guys feel comfortable with anyone replacing Jose Abreu's 25 to 30 home runs and 90 to 100 RBIs if the White Sox decide not to keep him long term?
0: Not in house, right? No, not yeah. You're you're right there. There's not really anybody that we have that would do that. Although you do bring up those those sound like numbers that you would want Eloy to put up.
1: And you brought up an interesting point with moving Eloy over to first. I'm not saying that they're going to, but um, Albert Pujols started in the outfield. Pretty sure Miguel Cabrera was an outfielder. They moved him to third, and they moved him over first. So first base is kind of that position for those guys that you need their bat in the lineup, but you don't really want them in the field.
2: (laughs) You know what? You made two great comparisons right there because when i've spoken to people visiting birmingham who have been watching the southern league for 20 plus years and i asked them, have you ever seen anyone like Aloy jimenez before and they said yes the last Aloy jimenez reminds me of miguel cabrera and yeah you're right on the money cabrera was a left fielder then he was a third baseman then he moved over can to the first yeah uh, albert pujols was the, was the same way with the, the st louis cardinals so Maybe there is something to this. Maybe the White Sox do have their future first baseman, and it's Aloy Jimenez. So there, you guys go. You can take that run with the bane, the drum, and when that does happen, uh, you guys are going to be the smartest guys out there. And the White okay. Sox Twittered them
0: with a little help from John Nelson. <laughs> well, and the, and the good thing is there too, as you talk about prospect log jams, is the fact that. It's not like the White Sox are short on any outfield talent in their minor leagues currently. You know, you've got Blake Rutherford sitting there. You've got Luis Robert. Uh, Those are the top two that come to mind for me. But then you start to look at some of these other guys like Basabe, uh, Micah Rodolfo, some of these other guys who could come out of the woodwork here and actually compete for some of these roster spots. And, again, if you are going to sign a free agent, there are – Plenty of free agents available coming up over the next two years that could be corner outfield guys.
2: Yeah, Adolfo is better defensively than Eloy Jimenez because Adolfo's got a rocket of an arm. As soon as the White Sox decide to repair that rocket, we'll see (laughs) uh, on how strong that arm is going to be. But then again, Gleyber Torres had the same surgery last year and it has had no ill effect. It's different for position players uh, than it is. For pitchers, But you're right. I mean, if you move Aloy Jimenez to first base, I'm really liking this idea, by the way, guys. Uh, Then you give yourself an an opportunity to make an upgrade in the outfield with a free agent or via trade to get an all-star outfielder. Or you can have the opportunity to take some of these athletic outfielders that you have, like Luis Gonzalez and the second-round pick for the White Sox, Steel Walker, already mixed in and competing against guys like... Uh, Luis Basabe and Blake Rutherford, as you mentioned, Alex Call, Jameson Fisher, who could be a professional type of hitter. You're right, the White Sox have plenty of options in the outfield where you could really optimize it, not only offensively, but defensively. Because do you remember how annoying it was when the Kansas City Royals, those Royals teams that went to the World Series, their outfield caught everything. When you had Gerard Dyson in center field and Lorenzo Cain in right and Alex Gordon in left field, it was tough to have any White Sox hitter hitting line drives or pop flies in the outfield because that those that trio covered so much ground and they made spectacular plays, it's just difficult to rack up any hits. And when you got to the sixteen against the bullpen, uh, was that was say, the Royals it was hard winning formula. Ball
1: against that bullpen at all?
2: Right. So it, they had a winning formula. It's hard to hit against us, but when you do hit against us, we have this athletic outfield that can chase down and catch everything. Uh, and a little bit of we're seeing a little bit of that right now with the Seattle Mariners with their outfield. And you see that a little bit in Boston, where they are pretty much playing three center fielders at Ben Attendee, Jackie Bradley Jr., and Mookie Betts. When you have an af- athletic outfield that can cover a lot of ground, that is a huge benefit to pitchers because then they're not so worried about allowing fly balls because they know that those three guys can run them down. Unlike today's White Sox outfield, where you have to hold your breath every time someone hits a fly ball to Daniel Polka. Well, I knew was, I was
0: yeah, Well, Daniel Polka comes up. What's the long term plan here with Daniel Polka? I think he might end up in section one hundred and eight. At, the, at this point in
1: time <laughs> in 2020. I, yeah, he didn't even get into that. I know you saw that tweet.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, Daniel Polka is totally a Section 108 type of guy. Uh, <laughs> that's I think that's terrific. You know, with Daniel Polka, I love watching him hit. I think that he's a DH type, and he's obviously proven that he's got a lot of power. The problem is he doesn't make enough contact to be an everyday major leaguer. It's obviously something that he needs to work on, but he generates a lot more offense than Adam Engel and Charlie Tilson. It's just, it's a weird situation right now with the white Sox outfield. I don't know how it's going to play out with obviously Garcia, possibly missing significant time. And now we're going to get a chance to see this Ryan Lamar coming over from the Minnesota twins. You guys mentioned earlier in the segment, Nicky DeMonico is almost done with his rehab in Birmingham. How does he fit in? And you eventually the White Sox need to open up a spot for Aloy Jimenez. All these guys that I listed before Aloy Jimenez, I do not think they have a role with a future winning White Sox club. And I know that breaks some White Sox fans' hearts to say that about players like Nicky Delmonico. And I know Charlie Tilson has some fan favorites uh, or some fans behind him. Uh, but none of these guys I don't think are – have a higher talent level than what the White Sox have currently in the minor league system. And every time people ask me who are players that you think are going to stick around for the next future White Sox team, they're always a little bit surprised that I'm not mentioning any of the outfielders just because I don't think any of them are better than what the White Sox are going to have in a couple of years.
0: Fair enough. Well, it's actually interesting. We we got into this a little bit with uh, Clinton Cole when We were talking about the future of Nicky Delmonico, and he was the one that that first asked us, do you really want Nicky Delmonico on a championship White Sox team? Aren't there better options? And and I'm pretty sure that answer is yes.
2: Yeah, it is. And I'm worried about what happened to his power. He wasn't hitting for a lot of power before he got hit in the wrist. So I'm curious to see. If Nicky DeMonaco has regained any of his power, because if he can't hit more than 25 home runs in a season, Nicky to can't provide a lot of value to a major league baseball club. Uh, he's got to hit for power and he's got to be an all all around hitter because again, he's not good defensively either where he could spend more time at DH, but I could still, you know, he could maybe be a major league starter, but it's not on a contending team, not a team that's going to go to the playoffs. So I totally agree with Clinton.
0: Now, we talk about these guys who potentially may not stick around for very long, and that brings up one thing. How are they going to leave the White Sox? Are any of these guys that we currently have right now tradable, maybe in a package deal in your mind to somebody else right now who is contending that can use somebody in a bench role? Uh, guys like Nikki Delmonico, maybe a Charlie Tilson out there. I don't know if anybody's signing up to take Adam Ingle off our hands, but can we get any... I don't know, stealth trade that's under the radar that could produce something for us long term, or are these the kind of guys that are just going to phase and fizzle out as free agents and sign somewhere else? Is there anybody that comes to mind for you that might be someone who is, could be of value somewhere else?
2: If Ail Garcia was healthy, Avi, but no, nobody else. Uh, you know, I could see honest, I could see Daniel Polka and Nikki Domonico playing overseas. I saw a, a clip this morning of a <laughs> huge home run guy. by Diane oh, Vicieto. He, there,
0: it there it is. There it is. Dian Visiedo is my guy. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we can edit horn
1: sounds in, but <laughs> we are ours. gonna
0: we are gonna edit horn sounds in. In our very first episode, <laughs> we talked about uh, one of our favorite White Sox moments, and I was actually at the game that that had hit his first home run, uh, oh, nice. and that was a it was a very cool moment because at that point in time he was. He was supposed to be the future, and being there for that was pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, he he really panned out, huh?
2: <laughs> hey, he could, hit, he could hit 20 home runs, which at the time I thought, well, that's not enough. He needs to hit, like, 30 or 40 home runs. But ever since he's left, it's like, wow, I – really appreciate guys who could hit 20 home runs because <laughs> it's really difficult for the white Sox to find those types of hitters. Um, but no, I mean, it could be the, what happened with Don Roach. Uh, I got the press release today, minor league baseball, the international league named Don Roach pitcher of the month. And the white Sox just agreed. Uh, I forget which Japanese ball club it's for $250,000 for the rights for Don Roach. So Don Roach is going to go pitch in Japan. So I, I think, I don't know if these guys are going to be on Major League players elsewhere. It's hard to say for guys that are not playing very well right now, stats wise, and the team that they're playing for is 30 and 60 as we are recording this, uh, if they're going to have a long term future in Major League Baseball. But if they still want to play professional baseball, obviously there are options in Japan and Korea where guys are signing $1 million contracts. And Obviously, that's not nearly as much as you can make in Major League Baseball, but that's a heck of a lot more that you can make playing in AAA.
1: Yeah, no, you make a fantastic point there. I did see that the Sox did cut ties with Donnie Roach, and I saw an interesting tweet that with Dylan Covey basically, you know, kind of already being on the roster, uh, Donnie Roach was, like, our last, like, you know, maybe, like, if we were to have a doubleheader, he was, like, our last, like, game two kind of guy. Like, he was yeah. our, like, last six starter option besides, Tony, I got to bring him up, besides Carson Fulmer.
0: <laughs> oh, geez.
1: And who we, as a fan base, would love to see, Michael Kopeck. So, I mean, they're kind of starting to clear the pathway, For these guys, and I, I started to see like that outfield logjam clear a little bit, and then they go and sign this Lamar dude from the Twins. You know, I thought we were going to see Jimenez here within the next month or so.
2: Exactly, the Ryan Lamar signing is interesting. Um, As we were recording this, the White Sox haven't announced anything about Abysil Garcia, and I think we're going to hear that prior to the Tuesday game against the St. Louis Cardinals on what the long-term solution is for Avi. Hamstring issues suck, man. I'm a 33-year-old fat guy, and I was (laughs) running with my uh, five-month-old puppy, Frankie, the little hurt, and uh, I pulled my hamstring in January, and I felt so embarrassed, but so many people reached out to me on Twitter, people who are far more athletic than I am, And they're like, yeah, I pulled my hamstring running and I was out two months. And I kid you guys, I kid you not, I could not run uh, in February or in March. And I can't imagine pulling that hamstring twice in a season. I mean, if Avi misses another month or so, I mean, he's going to be out until mid-August, late-August, you're just probably better off having him rest until September then. And then after September 1st, when the rosters expand, it makes it a really easy transition to add him back on. But the White Sox also have to add on Wellington Castillo from his 80-game suspension as well. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting what the White Sox do with, with Avi as far as in the outfield. But you, you are right in the starting pitching front. They are clear to path. And I do wonder if the White Sox can find a taker for James Shields, if that is the deciding move that allows the White Sox to call out Michael Kopech. Yeah,
1: no, I'm with you 100%. I've been seeing a lot of... uh Kind. Of, I've been seeing a lot of mixed uh, feelings out there for Shields. You know, a lot of pe- some people think he's going to go. A lot of other people think you know he's under control for two more years. That they're just going to keep him to kind of be that veteran presence that they kind of are lacking in the clubhouse. You know, he's a big he's a big leader. So I don't well, know. What is your take on what they think they're gonna what you think they're going to do with James you know, Shields,
0: John? I'm going to jump in on this. They're going to have to pick up that option right. though for James Shields, and. Josh brought this up a little bit earlier. Do the Sox need to pick somebody up off the free agent market to eat innings next year? James Shields could be that kind of guy to eat the innings. I just don't know if he's that guy for that kind of money. Um,
2: yeah, because that option's twenty million dollars, and at this point, San Diego would not be chipping in. So it's twenty million dollars of Jerry Reinsdorf's money, not the ten million that the White Sox have been spending. The last couple of years, I, I don't see the White Sox picking up that option right now.
0: No, and and we did also touch on this earlier. Is what do the Sox need to do to bring Eloy and Kopech up? This was in a previous podcast, and what I my thinking behind it is, is you do need to clear space for them somewhere in the rotation. I'm not sure because I haven't checked up on it lately, but we also do have Miguel Gonzalez somewhere. I'm pretty sure he is going to come back at some point. I know he's on a one year deal, but you'd like to see him maybe eat some innings at the end of this year, but there's gotta be somebody that needs to get out of the rotation in order for Kopech to come up and get those starts. And right now, unfortunately, I think in my mind, that's Dylan Covey.
2: Yeah, right now, this is what I think the rotation is next year for the White Sox. You're looking at Carlos Rodon, Dylan Covey, Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, and Michael Kopech. And the concern that I have there is, one, some of these guys are going to be on innings limits where they're not going to be expected to throw 200 innings. But then you're going to need some people in the bullpen that can eat up some innings, right? And it's very rare that a five-person starting rotation is able to stick together and make all 30 starts in a season. So clearly you need guys to help you get through A season. Now, I'm gonna throw this idea out there and you guys could throw it back in my face. But after watching this White Sox Astros series, I wonder what it would take to acquire Colin McHugh from the Astros, because I think he could be a very effective starter. And it's clear that with how stacked this rotation is for the Houston Astros, that he doesn't have a spot to be a starter. And he's just posting up stupid video game numbers out of the bullpen and he's 31 years old. He's actually from Naperville. So in a way it will be coming home from him. I wonder if that would be a move that makes sense because the White Sox would have control of him for the 2019 to 2020 season. And let's face it, if 2019 sucks again for the White Sox, but Colin McHugh's really good and a team picks up the phone and calls Rick Khan and be like, Hey, what it would it take to get Colin McHugh? Uh, that's another flip trade that yep. the White Sox could possibly make very much like, they would probably be doing this uh, trade season with Joaquin Soria.
0: If you look at the free agent market for starting pitching next year, there's really not that many intriguing options, uh, especially at like a decent age. I mean, Lance Lynn sticks out a little bit, but are you really going to pay that kind of money for him? Uh, What is he getting this year? 12 12 million? I don't see that. Uh, Sabathia, Brandon McCarthy... Uh, Drew Pomerantz kind of sticks out a little bit.
2: Hmm. Maybe, but that's an injury concern. Lance Lynn's got a walk issue. Not as bad as Tyler Chatwood, but it's a walk issue. And yeah, Drew Pomerantz has an injury issue. So maybe Colin McHugh would actually be sought after Uh, (laughs) quite a bit next offseason. It was just an idea because... You know, watching the series and looking at his numbers, and he was a very effective starting pitcher for the Houston Astros. It was just one of those, huh? I wonder what it would take to acquire him because clearly he'd be one of the best starting pitchers for the White Sox right now, and they could definitely use somebody next year that can pitch more than 180 innings. Because again, Carlos Rodon hasn't proven that he can carry that workload yet as well. So there's a lot of uncertainty for the White Sox in 2019, something that I don't think White Sox fans should lose sight of that. They are going to have to add somebody as a starting pitcher to help carry the load in 2019, because I think it's just too much to ask for Copac Lopez and Giolito to carry that large of a workload, especially when Dylan Covey and Carlos Rodon haven't proven they can either.
0: We could always give Bartolo Colon a call.
2: Oh, good lord. <laughs> we could hit up the,
1: uh, the Myrtle Beach Merriman and we could uh, see if Kenny Powers is still available.
0: <laughs> oh, jeez. And we just took a little break there because John needed to go grab a beer because he did not properly prepare for the podcast and put the beer in the fridge. John, why don't you let everybody know what you're finally starting to drink tonight?
1: I'm not finally starting to drink it. I've been a diesel guy for longer than I've been a Modelo guy, but I'm drinking a Budweiser right now. Um, I was kind of explaining to you guys, but my brother had Budweiser on the 4th of July, and I had Modellos, and somehow, I don't even know how this happened, the Budweiser ended up in my case. I am on a Modelo. So I'm drinking a Budweiser. I'm like four sips in. I'm about to burp. <clears throat> Excuse me.
0: But... <laughs> Yeah, so what are you drinking on, Tony? Uh, I have currently moved on from Budweiser. Uh, I am drinking a Revolution Antihero, my other go-to. Uh, I love the IPAs. I am an IPA guy, and uh, I'm about to enjoy this beer. Uh, that'll bring it over to Josh. Josh, what, uh, I don't know if you're in, uh, enjoying a brew right now, but uh, why don't you uh, let the listeners know what your favorite brew
2: is. Ooh, my favorite beer, I grew up in Wisconsin, is Spot a Cow. However, when I go to a baseball game, I love Modelo Negra, the black Modelo. Uh, I, I love that beer. I, I drink it all the time. And I, I totally understand if I got Modelo and Budweiser in the refrigerator, the Modelo is going to go first. Uh, the Budweiser is going to go second. Josh, uh, we
1: just became best friends.
2: <laughs> awesome. Uh, I I'm also, I'm not a beer snob by no stretch of the imagination. I'm not a big IPA fan. I just like drinkability with beers, and two of my favorites still to this day, all the way since I was 18 years old, are Miller High Life and PBR. It's got to be in the bottle, though, for Miller High Life, because it's nasty in a can. And I like the PBR bottles because of the poker chip bottle caps. And I used to have a whole set of a playing deck of PBR bottle caps, cards back in the day but you know you move away from college and you lose stuff while you're moving and i don't know what happened to it uh but if i were drinking a beer right now it'd probably be a pbr
0: okay so pbr
1: would be the beer of choice
0: pbr interesting we haven't had any guests on that have that have gone with pbr so that's uh that makes you very i don't think
1: anybody's ever picked the same beer as another guest
0: no they haven't they have not. So
1: uh, all this liquor talk has uh, got me and Tony wanting to ask you our kind of tradition question that we got going here. We've asked a good amount of our listeners here. We asked uh, we asked Herb, uh, Lawrence, what um, the most messed up he was at a baseball game. And he told us that he used to go to the baseball games pretty messed up and fall asleep on laundry. Um <laughs> We had we had the 108 guys tell us that they've fallen in bushes. So we've we've heard it all far and wide and we hear that you got a pretty good story for us, Josh. So the floor is yours.
2: All right. So I went to college in Wisconsin and we would frequently go to Milwaukee Brewers games before Prince Fielder and Ryan Braun were with the brewers the brewer's best player was lyle overbay if you oh remember my oh
0: yes yes, yes yes if you
2: remember lyle overbay so was this is council
1: still there or no obviously not. yeah
2: council was oh. there okay uh jeff jenkins was in right field and wow. <laughs> i got i i'm in the right field bleachers and it's a tuesday night which typically weekday nights were college nights so what i would do i went to uw oshkosh you would get on the bus. So before you got on the bus, obviously you're wasted getting on the bus and from Oshkosh to Milwaukee, it's an hour and a half track. So obviously everyone's drinking on the bus and then you get into the stadium and I'm just, I'm wasted. The second baseman for the Milwaukee Brewers at the time was junior Spivey. And I thought junior Spivey sucked, just absolutely sucked. And at the same time, the Washington nationals at this time were a terrible, terrible baseball team. And, not once, but twice, uh, Junior Spivey got five holes, in which the ball went right through uh, the wickets, very much like uh, Billy Buckner with the Boston Red Sox uh, back in the day. And I was just heckling Junior Spivey all the way from right field. And there has to be like maybe 15,000 people in Miller Park. So I think he can hear me. But I know Jeff Jenkins can hear me. And Jeff Jenkins is laughing. And <laughs> the second time that Junior Spivey makes an error, I just scream at the top of my lungs, Enjoy Washington, D.C., Junior, because you suck! <laughs> Two days later, Junior <laughs> Spivey gets traded to Washington, D.C. <laughs> to the Washington Nationals. That's- oh, my gosh. But as <laughs> we were leaving the stadium, like there was like four cops like, staring me down. I was wondering if I got caught on the security cam, and I was paranoid that I was going to get kicked out. But that's the drunkest I've ever been, only because – the only parts of the game I remember are the junior the airs and Jeff Jenkins laughing at me, being a drunken idiot in right field.
1: If we got Josh Nelson heckling, we we've got him a little inebriated in the stands there.
0: <laughs> I would I would love to see Josh Nelson at a White Sox game doing some heckling. I think that would be a very
1: very. Yeah, I think you'd have a lot of fun with like the the nowadays White Sox if you were in college and you went to a game there.
2: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Especially with all the beer choices that the White Sox have. I I, Obviously, I'm biased, but I have lived in Chicago for seven and a half years now. I've never gotten the appeal to Wrigley Field as someone that when I went to Lambeau, everybody told me that Lambeau is a special place. And you feel it when you walk through the tunnel. And that is true. Lambeau is... A Special place to go watch a football game and when I moved to Chicago people said it's very similar feel like Lambeau No, it's not it, it most definitely is not the 200 level is absolutely crap I don't know why anybody sits in the 200 level behind home plate at Wrigley field I'm not gonna spend $75 on a ticket to watch most of the game on the TV because if the ball goes higher than 10 feet in the air I can't see it anymore uh, oh, we we love this. Keep,
1: keep going. Too. My, well, hold on. I'm gonna kind of feed into that. My brother was at uh, he was at like a Cubs Twins game last week, and he sent he posted like a Snapchat on his Snap story of like his seats at the game, and the 200 level overhang was covering like his vision of like the right fielder up, so you couldn't see like if someone were to hit a home run to right field, he wouldn't have been able to see it. Um, there was like pillars all throughout the concourse, blocking his line of sight. I think in the picture there was three pillars alone, and then they just have these TVs right. sitting there hanging down. And it's like, what the fuck am I paying? <laughs> exactly. What the Cubs charge? What, what whatever it may have been for those seats against the Twins, it probably wasn't too much, especially if my brother went. It probably <laughs> probably wasn't outlandish, but. I'm I'm assuming that that can't be a great place. I haven't been to Wrigley since I was a little kid and I haven't seen it since the renovations, but I just I don't see how it, you can enjoy watching a baseball game there if yeah. you're in one of those seats. I get if you're like up close, personal, whatever. You're going to enjoy a baseball game anywhere. Yeah, but if I'm exactly. stationed right behind a pillar and having to watch a majority of the game on a TV in the top right corner of my eyesight, I'm going to be pissed.
2: And if I'm in college, the reason I bring up Brigley, because there's obviously a lot of college kids in Chicago that go to Cubs games and I get it. The Cubs are really good, but in college, man, I don't know about you guys, but I couldn't afford hundred dollar tickets. The reason I went to brewer games when the brewers were crap because tickets were five bucks to sit in the Euchre section all the way on top of the stadium. I didn't mind that I was in the stadium. And if I were a college student, I would love going to white Sox games, Much better and more beer choices to go with. The food is also better, but you can get into the stadium now for five or six dollars. Yep, and you can pretty much sit anywhere during the week. I just think that is a far better, attractive deal as a college student than it is to go to Wrigley Field. But in Chicago, I don't know if everybody's a trust fund baby and can afford to go to Cubs (laughs) games. I've got a you know a full time, they are in River North yeah <laughs> right river north <laughs> i don't know how anyone can afford to go to cubs games today it's just a little bit ridiculous on how much they cost but that's my two cents on wrigley field compared to guaranteed rate field and even if i was still in college i'd still be going to white Sox games because it's far cheaper than it is to go to the north side
0: I, you know, I think that a lot of that also has to do with the outside around the ballpark. I, I am not ever frequenting that area, but from uh, no what fly I hear, zone for me. yeah, it's a no-fly zone for me. I've oh, only actually guys... been to one one Cubs game in my entire life, uh, and it was for a work event, and I left in about the sixth inning. Uh, but I you're right. If I'm a college kid, I'm going to the Sox game, and then I'm just going to hop on the red line or the Metra, back downtown or hop an Uber somewhere and go to the bar after. I don't understand why people need to, you know, discount the White Sox for not having the nightlife around it. You can go watch a ball game for five or six bucks. Like you said, they even have that, the bleachers and brews deal. You basically get two free beers and a ticket. Uh, I think it's like for 22 bucks. And yep. then you could, you know, hop on a train or hop on you know, anything these days and hit hit a bar right after it's It amazes me. Pound a six-pack
2: on the red line. Yeah, exactly.
1: I had a game I went to to two years ago. It was a T-shirt Thursday. I got two tickets in, like, section, like, one. It was, like, third base dugout side, like, in between uh, the third baseman and the uh, left fielder. And I probably paid a total of like $17 for these tickets and got two t-shirts. So I literally basically paid $17 for two t-shirts and got to see the Sox play for free.
2: And the thing that drives me crazy is that there are Chicagoans that are like, well, you paid $17. I would never pay $17 for garbage. Like, it, it just blows my mind. Like I But have they'll pay
0: $100 to go sit behind a pole at Wrigley Field. Dude, if the, if,
1: yeah, if the yeah. Cubs games were 10 bucks and they were playing, like, if the Dodgers were in town or, like, a team that I don't get to see often, you bet your ass I'm there.
2: For $9, you can go in September to watch Mike Trout play in center field in September. Literally. Exactly. Like, I, I don't understand. I have buddies of
1: Cubs fans that are always down to go to Sox games with me just because of how cheap it is.
2: Yeah, I, I just don't understand the pretensionist. like I enjoy paying one hundred fifty dollars to go to a baseball game. Well, I enjoy calling you an idiot, sir, because I don't get that line of thinking uh, whatsoever. But no, I, I love going to White Sox games. And I don't know if I can get to that level anymore, like the Section 108 guys where I start heckling, um, especially when Robin Ventura is not here anymore as a manager for the White Sox. Uh, but my favorite White Sox-Cubs game is – the my favorite time went into Wrigley Field, and you guys will enjoy this. It's the game where Gordon Beckham hit the game-winning home run oh, and Moises you, Sierra went four for four. Oh,
1: my God. <laughs> <laughs> against the Cubs, too. Against the Cubs. That's crazy. I remember that. Wasn't it uh, – that was – yeah, obviously it was in Wrigley. That was in, oh – was it no. 08?
2: No, it was it was later than that. I want to say it was like 2013,
1: 2014. When he? Hit, oh yeah, no shit, you're
2: right. When yeah, did Beckham, Beck, Beckham, Beckham hit
1: a walk off against the Cubs? Uh, didn't he do it twice?
2: He may have. I don't remember. This obviously wasn't a walk off because he
1: did rookie. when he was like a rookie. He hit it a walk off double like a pinch hit yeah. appearance. Yeah, against the Cubs. Yeah.
2: And we were all thinking at that time, man, he's going to be a superstar.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, literally.
2: <laughs> Memories. <laughs> and That's only part of the song that I know. So
1: That's okay. Maybe we could have Tony edit the whole song. <laughs>
0: all right. Well, I think that just about does it for us here. Josh, do you have anything you want to close it out with?
2: No, this has been an absolute blast, guys. Thank you so much for having me on your show. And you know, for the White Sox fans that are still half paying attention to the season, you know, stick with it because before you know it, I know the Bears are reporting to training camp, and there is a lot. of no, excited about the Chicago Bears this year, Uh, but I think we're gonna miss baseball, and this second half is gonna go really quick here. And hopefully, just hopefully, we get to see Kopech and Aloy Jimenez soon, because uh, that'll make it, it will make start, it'll start making this whole season worth it to go through a team that's only won thirty games in its first ninety.
1: All right.
0: Well,
2: he, we are one hundred percent with you.
0: We did make it almost to the end before we brought up the Bears. Uh, I can, I can live with that. Um, <laughs> Josh, it was great having you on. Uh, you are one of the the Uh, Greatest Baseball Minds on White Sox Twitter. We really appreciate your time. Uh, Thank you very much.
2: Hey, no problem. And don't tell P. Knowles you said that to me because he made (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Thank you guys again so much. It's been an absolute blast.
1: All right. Thank you again, Josh. Have a good night, man. Yeah, you too. All right, everybody. That was Josh Nelson from Sox Machine. We can't thank him enough again for coming on. Um, Tony and I have something that we want to touch on very briefly, and then it will be until next week. So coming up this week, I will be attending the White Sox game tomorrow against the St. Louis Cardinals. This is being recorded on Monday evening, so that will be the 10th on Tuesday. I will also – well, Tony and I will together – be going to barstool at the park which is going to be this saturday july 14th there is a pregame tailgate we're gonna have Sox mafia socks on 35th section 108 and obviously the guys from redline radio we're gonna have carl dave you know there's even gonna be some more barstool guys i'm pretty sure barstool chief's gonna be there we're gonna have ozzy so there is going to be a lot of people there. Get out to there. It's going to be in lot B starting at, I want to say they said 10 a.m. Tony and I got some sweet T-shirts made uh, with the Shy Sox Weekly logo smacked straight on the front. We did post them on Twitter, so we're going to be rocking those. So if you see come those, out and find come us. Up.
0: Come out and find us.
1: Yeah, come out, say hi. Um, we will be out there. I'm, I didn't get I didn't get a p- patio pass for Barstool at the park, I waited too long on it, so I'm just going to be attending the game as normal, but I will be there for the tailgate. If you guys want to come out, definitely come out. Um, it should be packed. I was there for the last tailgate. Um, it wasn't the biggest turnout, but it was a lot of fun with the amount of people that we had out there, so definitely come check it out.
0: Absolutely. I hear you're bringing some Modellos there. Uh, so if you want to have a Modello with oh. Shy Sox Jonda, Uh, I will be taking pictures of everybody who has a Modelo with Shy Sox, Jonathan, and I'll post it on the Shy Sox weekly Twitter page. Uh, It should be a fun event. Uh, We want to get John really messed up. So please come out and share beer with him.
1: I am bringing a designated driver. So that being said, let's do it.
0: All right. And, John, with that, let's go White Sox.
1: Let's go White Sox. We'll see you guys next week.